All right, well, let's get back to the phone lines, and first up is Tom. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Uh, just another chilly, but it's December. I mean, we're supposed to be having some some of this kind of weather. Man, it ain't really cold. It just feels that way. Well, as uh, one of our managers who was originally from Wisconsin says, there's no such thing as bad weather, just bad wardrobe. <laughs> you just got to get ready for it. Yes, sir. Hey, listen. That fella that was building the greenhouse, let me tell you what I did. Okay. You know those top rails that you buy for, like, chain link fence? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They're thin, but they're uh, galvanized and everything. They last forever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But if you buy some of those, and then everywhere you want to bend it, if you can make an A-frame, I mean, anywhere you want to bend it, just lay it on the concrete, put this larger piece of real pipe on top of it, and smack it with a hammer, and it flattens it out. Oh, sure. Sure. Then you can fold it and put one screw in it for the other pipe that's running long ways. And it works perfect. I built one about 20 years ago from my mother-in-law, and it's still over there. Uh, it's a great plan. You sound like you're pretty handy with uh, with tools and pretty creative, and that's one of many ways to go. Uh, these pipe you know, benders. That works out good if you're trying to squeeze a dollar because um, they don't cost much. And uh, you can buy a fairly cheap a screen door over at Lowe's or someplace yep. and yep. put that on it and then a vent in the back and uh, you're done. Well, I and put, I imagine uh, that plastic, uh, hard plastic on it. If you, but if I you want to go, any, you put anything on it, you know, anything you want to do. And, uh, yeah. I'm sure you, like most of us have watched a good electrician with those, uh, with that little tool they use to bend the metal conduit, they make the same thing. If you don't want to try to flatten the pipe out, they make the same thing to bend that tubing like you use for the top rail. And uh, then it's just a, a matter that uh, you can put a, I mean, that stuff drills so easily and just get yourself some uh, stainless steel or galvanized uh, nuts and bolts. And like I say, you can, you can make it portable, but you can also put it together to last a long, long time. So that's a great suggestion. I really appreciate yeah. it. Well, portable is is the deal. I built it in my shop here. I had a shop in Floresville uh-huh. years years back when I could still work. And uh, when I got it done, I said, "Man, that's pretty cool." And uh, she's going to love this. And I backed the trailer in, picked it up with the hoist, and put it on there. And it was too tall to get out. <laughs> <laughs> we 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 learn. I love what. Uh, what Will Rogers always said, he said, good judgment comes mainly from experience, which comes mainly from bad judgment. So uh, <laughs> at least that wasn't too major a deal. But yeah. uh, anyway, Tom, I appreciate it. Any, anything lady, else? Yeah, a while ago was talking about uh, it's going to quit raining someday. Yeah. Well, that's what Noah said. Well, he was right, too, but we <laughs> I just asked those people over in Houston about that. Hey, I'm going to let you go. You have a great Saturday, and I'm going to talk to Brian. Good morning, Brian. Hey, good morning, Bob. Speaking of those folks down near Houston, uh, just dumped out 3.86 inches of rain from wow. last night. Yeah, yeah. I had 1.49 overnight myself, and that that's a real good rain. You start to get up there in that three to four inch level on already saturated ground you're talking you're talking some potential problems exactly exactly and that's kind of uh leads into my question i got um kind of a little back pasture area that's uh found out it's got kind of a little drainage problem but also want to um uh, plant some some plants there that don't mind wet feet uh-huh so looking for a, a bush kind of shrub um kind of to 
shield some some neighbors out, but also just to kind of break up the pasture. What would your recommendation be? Oh, something that doesn't mind wet feet. Um, how tall do you want this to grow? As tall as you would like it. It doesn't matter to me. Okay. Well, if you wanted, you know, an actual, you know, bushy tree, you could go with a willow or something like that. And I love that thing they call a corkscrew willow, sort of a dwarf willow. And those things get really big really quickly. And, you know, you see them growing around the edge of farm ponds and things like that. You know how quickly they grow and they're pretty cheap and easy. If you wanted more of a real shrub, uh, loquat is one that, in my experience, will grow um, in a little bit more moist situation. Now, are deer a concern in this area to have deer? Oh, yes, sir, we do. Yeah, that's going to be that's going to be a little bit more of a limiting issue there because uh, at least getting things up and growing eventually they get tall enough that the deer you know, won't nibble on them. But now if you were going to start out with almost any kind of shrub, I'm going to put a little cage of some sort around them until they get up to a size where the deer can't, can't browse them quite as much. But, but for a big dent shrub, uh, it'd be hard to beat, uh, it'd be hard to beat loquat. But, um, I, again, if this was just out along a fence line and I was looking for protection without spending much money, I'd, I'd think about using just willows. Okay. And then um, with the uh, next question, uh, going to pine needles, this is something I don't have much experience with. I know you grew up in Tennessee. Was, you had plenty of them. Uh, I've, I've uh, raked a few of them off the front yard and just mowed them over, mowed them over, mowed them over, added some uh, molasses to it. And my thought is just to let them set and let them set. And then like I were talking earlier this morning about compost, just yep. add that to my compost. Yep. I think it's uh, a any great, other well, I think it's a great idea, and here's the thing, and yeah, I spent my high school years in East Tennessee, but I was actually born in Tyler, Texas, so uh, I've seen pines in more than one place, but um, just the material that you're going to use in your landscape should be material from your area. I know they bale pine straw out of East Texas, and they ship it all over the place, but Unless I'm trying to grow East Texas plants, that's not what I'm going to put in my compost pile. I want the leaves. I want the trimmings. I want the things from the plants that grow around here because then I know I'm just recycling the nutrients that come out of those plants into other things that do well. But I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't mulch mountain laurels for use in East Texas, and I wouldn't bring a heck of a lot of pine needles, you know, over to West Texas. But where you are over there, yeah, I think pine pine straw is uh is a good material it stays uh uh it stays you know durable enough that it'll be a mulch and it'll last for a number of years but it is well it will break down if you want to speed up the breakdown like you say use molasses grind it up a little bit and it will decompose and obviously that's how the you know the forest of the rocky mountains in the pacific northwest that's how their soil is built is largely out of coniferous needles so um, I, they're just great, but, uh, where you are over in Magnolia, I think it's a great way to go, but I'm, I'm not bringing pine needles over to put, in, put in my land uh, right. in Kendall County. Well, the, uh, the good news for me is that their uh, the price is right. It, about every day you can get another, you know, yard or so of them. But, uh, next question being in East Texas, I know gardenias, uh, finally I have, I live in a place where I can grow, um, grow them. Do you have uh-huh. a favorite variety? I, my favorite variety is probably going to be August Beauty. 
It is one that's reblooming. It's a real prolific bloomer, and it's a pretty durable plant. I mean, if you go, if you want to go with a great big flowers, you're going to have to go with some different varieties. But August Beauty makes a bloom that's about two, two and a half inches in diameter. Uh, as the name implies, uh, you're going to get the maximum number of flowers late summer, but they're going to scatter flowers throughout the whole growing season. Um, remember, gar- gardenias are still happiest where they get sun in the morning, shade in the afternoon. So uh, even where you are, I wouldn't put in plant your gardenias when you're going to get that blistering afternoon sun. But uh, um, you got the soil, you've got uh, the water, you've got a great place for gardenias. And uh, like I say, August Beauty is the first one I'd look at. All right, Bob. Well, uh, again, a man of uh, man of knowledge, and uh, I really appreciate your time. One well, more comment, you know, the gentleman who said, you know, he wants his grass to green up fast. I get it. One thing that you taught me over the years is to pray the old farmer's prayer, and by His grace, it's working out. I'm, I'm developing some patience with this garden. <laughs> yeah, just just please hurry on that patience end of it. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, Brian, the best of the holiday season to you, and I know we'll talk again sometime for too long. I appreciate the call this morning. Thank you, sir. All right, uh, I'm going to go ahead and talk to Linda. She's been waiting a while. Good morning, Linda. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. Uh, Bob, I live down in the Matagorda area. Okay. And I have, I'm going to be in and out all season for the holidays. I've wrapped up a big shrimp plant that's in our front yard Mm -hmm. with the insulate. And I've doubled it around the bottom. Um, my last trip will be like um, New Year's. Is it okay to leave it wrapped up? Oh, sure. I, I'm not sure okay. it's really necessary if this is a true shrimp plant. Uh, the Justicia is its botanical name. And um, I, they're generally a totally hardy perennial. Uh, they freeze about one year out of four or five. And when they do, they just come right back out. So, uh I think you may have gone to a little bit more trouble than you need to, but it will definitely be bigger and bushier next spring. But no, the insulate fabric is one of the few row covers that allows enough sunlight through it uh, that you can leave things wrapped up all winter and they will still continue to flourish underneath the insulate, and yet they'll have the cold protection as well. Okay, well, I must have a wimp because last year I neglected it not threw a cover on it when we were going to have that big freeze right and it froze totally back and it has come back and it's beautiful but it's not as big and hardy as it was once was so i'm i'm trying to overdo it well overdo it with a little <laughs> bit of fertilizer and be sure somebody's going to water periodically it's looking like we're going to have a more moist winter than we have some years so i'm not going to say that's absolutely mandatory but uh, last winter was so dry, that probably had as much to do with the problem as the cold did. Okay, Bob. Thanks again. Well, Have a Merry Christmas. And you do the same. It's been a pleasure talking to you, and I know we'll talk again. Crest that I'm t- putting together to sell, and the yard is in terrible shape. Is there anything I can do this time of year? I thought about winter rye, but since that darn golly, 23 degrees in November? Yeah, well. No, is it, should I just say, hey, I'll give you a yard allowance? It's basically a big pit that hadn't been watered in years, and, um, but it's a, it's a nice chunk of land, and, uh, 
I'm just wondering, is there anything I can do besides clean it up, get rid of the leaves from the Spanish oak in the front? And, well, there, and there are lots of things you can do. It just depends really on how much time and effort you want to put into it. Um, mm-hmm. Your ryegrass was, you know, it's cold hardy down probably to 10 degrees. So, But I haven't planted it yet, so is, yeah. it, is, is oh. it okay to seed would, it? Today would be an outstanding time to do it because the soil's good and moist. Right. And um, that's what you need to get any grass seed to germinate is lots of moisture. And we, we have lots of moisture in the soil. So uh, I put that seed out today. Uh, okay. Color is what sells. And uh-huh. if you have places, and you don't have to plant huge beds of flowers, but uh, either some small beds or even some pots planted with something like pansies, uh, in the ground, pansies are cold hardy down to about 10 right. degrees. And in pots, they're certainly cold hardy to 20 degrees or below. Uh, you okay. combine that with some gray dusty miller or, um, you know, and my favorite on the pansies, the so-called Johnny Jump Ups, little miniature pansies. There used to be one variety. It was sort of purple and yellow, and it was really pretty. Today, we probably have 50 varieties of Johnny oh, wow. Jump Ups. And some of them, I, I mean, the colors, the the yellows, the whites, the white and purple, the yellow and purple, the orange, the blue, the light blue, the dark blue, the pure purple. You just wouldn't believe how many Johnny Jump Up varieties are, are available out there. And uh, uh, they are as cold hardy as the big pansies. And they the individual flowers aren't as showy, but on your little ones, you're going to get 10 flowers for every one flower you get on the big wow. one. I just, Johnny Jump Ups have become one of my favorite plants. Just they they need sun to do well. But believe me, color turns heads. That's that's a good thing to do. Yeah, I have a hedge of those vicious, horrible, which were such wonderful sea preventions because the house is 60 years old it's sure. on the original street that are doing well they started to die out i cut them back i cut them out the dead spots and they've they've filled in really nice now what so what kind of plants are these holly bushes oh holly okay those with five point vicious yeah you know, yeah um, rippers. <laughs> they're wonderful <laughs> for preventing people from you know going yeah absolutely home. yeah that's that the original thing right and and i have um and I, I don't have much space in the front of the house, but on the side of the house, I have a, uh, basically seven, eight crepe myrtles that I have. Mm-hmm. I could put the pansies between them because, you know, that's really the only space that anything would fit in. Well, so just I, put them where they show. I mean, it's uh, sure. you want people and, to take notice. Yeah. yeah. What about nematodes this time of year? Should you worry about them for, for fleas for my house here? You know, it depends on what you're fighting. This is the only time of year that they're effective against ticks. You probably don't have a tick problem in Windcrest, but for people out in the country, it's a great time. Uh, They're great for fire ant control at this time of the year. And I guess the main thing people use them for is flea control. This People that say, oh, I wish we had a hard freeze to kill the fleas. I got news for you. (laughs) Fleas Uh are smarter than that. You're never going (laughs) to get rid of the fleas with a freeze, but you will get rid of the fleas with the beneficial nematodes. So that's a good reason to put them out. But um, beyond that, no, I would say, uh, you know, save your money. Uh, And look around, too. uh, You know, this is a show about plants, but Martin Bomb and Jim Smith will be in here a little later, and they'd be the first to tell you that – 
sometimes a uh, little fresh paint, even if it's just oh, on the yeah. front door that's, and things like yeah, that. There, that's a given. Yeah, that's lots given. of other things to do to perk things up. But, uh, right. I, you know, to answer your question, the two things I'd definitely go for would be some ryegrass to green up the yard and some color like the Johnny Jump Ups to give you just Super. some beautiful flowers. Thank you. And I have this giant, enormous uh, shrimp plant on the east side of the house. Mm-hmm. And it's gotten really huge, and I want to transplant some of it, but can I cut it back this time of year? Because I'm sure a lot of it got frozen, too, because of the 23 degrees. But I'm, I have to check it. Yeah, you can give it a, a haircut, but I sure wouldn't cut it, you know, way, way far back. Now, when you and one thing you certainly can do if it's that big, uh, go ahead and take a small portion of it and cut it back to maybe six or eight inches tall and then get in there with your uh, sharpshooter, uh, sharp-bladed shovel, and just mm-hmm. dig out some little clumps of it and put it in pots, keep them in a spot that's a little bit warmer but still bright, and uh, mm-hmm. go ahead and get your ones you're going to take to your new home with you started. Great, because I do have a enclosed porch on my new home, yeah. uh, north north exposure, so I can grow things during the winter. That would be it. perfect. So, Bob, thanks a million as always. And listen, if one or two limbs did not get accidentally covered when a, tr- a Spanish oak tree, are we still having Spanish oak wilt really badly? Oh, yeah. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's uh, And when we have uh, the, the Spanish oaks, um, the, the thing about uh, Spanish oak or red oak or, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, they are they are the double bad guys in that number one they die very quickly if they get oak wilt. Oh, good. Okay. But they also um, they also are the trees that form the spore mats if they have oh, died really? of oak wilt, and that's how that's how it gets uh, it's spread. Yeah, spread over long oh. distances. But remember, it's only about a, t- a ten day period that um, that you have to worry about those wounds being sealed. And um, it takes a while. Uh, were these limbs that were cut off, were these limbs were cut up against the trunk, were there any stubs left sticking out that didn't get painted? No, not not the big ones. But okay. there's uh, natural dead ones that I wanted to break off. And I, if that happens, do you still have to paint no, it? No, absolutely not. Ones absolutely not. Because it's, oh, only, it's only live uh, green tissue that has a potential for oozing sap. That is what oh, attracts the little okay. beetles that carry the uh, carry the disease. So anything that breaks away, anything that was dead wood to begin with, no, snap it off and oh, put it good. in the fireplace. Super, thank you, sir. Well, thank you for everything. And of course, the leaves should be picked up because they really you can't put anything behind underneath the leaves. Into, I mean, on, on the ground to the, the right now, the backyard has a central, you know, Spanish oak dead center, and it's of course. Sure covered in leaves so I'm well, going to get those up before. well what i would do is just i wouldn't get them up i just mow them you know shred oh, okay. them up and when let they them dry. settle oh, down I in i did that the other day here at the other house it was wonderful didn't have to <laughs> didn't have to rake one leaf. well but in your you're putting all that nutrient old malcolm beck taught me years ago and i thought it was a you can it's very good visual picture you can get he said that tree's got roots 30 40 feet down in the ground is taking minerals from way down deep in the soil that other plants can't get to, putting those in the leaves and then putting them back on the surface of the ground to remineralize the surface to help your grasses and all the other things that are up closer to the top. So it's uh, it's really a shame to bag up and remove the leaves. I just shred them up with a mower, leave that's them in I place. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the best. What I usually do, but it's practically mud out there in the rental house, and yeah. so it's like I've got to get the green out there too and, and get some grass back there. 
Um, one real quick question. I have I call it my Charlie Brown Christmas tree because this little tree I've had the house since two thousand one. It has it's a Japanese yupon maybe. Yeah. I mean it's got real long needles, very odd shape, you know, and it's just sort of this little scraggler. Like like I say, it looks like Charlie Brown tree. Probably Japanese you. You. That's it. Yeah. That's okay. It. Thank you. I knew it had a Y in it. Is it wrong this time of year to give it some food or oh, fertilizer no. or anything? No, fertilize. Um, it's winter time. Yeah, you're not going to see any change in it over the winter months, but it the fertilizer will help the roots through the winter, and the fertilizer will allow the plants to absorb it to take it in the way they do and you know put it in a chemical form that will be readily available to the plants for strong spring growth you know people that wait till spring to fertilize they're already really behind the curve because plants just don't instantly use this material it has to be processed as it were by fertilizing in the fall you're supporting your your spring growth as well as making your plants more cold-hardy through the winter. So, like I say, I think fall fertilizing is the single most important time of the year that we do that. Oh, great, great. And I've got a lot of ball moss in the in the crepe myrtles. I know it's not supposed to be, you know, detrimental to them, but it seems like there's a lot more than there used to be. Do you just pluck them off? Do you cut them off, you know? Whatever um, you like. They are, they are not okay. parasites. No, they're not. They just look like they are. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're epiphytes, and uh, I've always figured if we could find a way to harvest them, package them, we could hang them on a string and sell them up in Chicago as these wonderful new air plants. <laughs> uh, but they're, you know, it's up to That's you. Some people, yeah, some people don't like the appearance, but they're not hurting your great myrtles. I know, so. I know they're not, but it's like, it seems like this, I, I, my last winter, unfortunately, didn't do a thing about watering them, and thank God we had that 15 inches of rain because, yep. you know, it really perked everything up. Well, but, I think you've got some more important things to do first, but after you right, get all those right. done, if you want to go pick some ball moss out of your crepe myrtles, go right ahead. <laughs> Bob, thanks, Amelia. Happy well, holidays. And to you as well, Terry. Thanks for bye the bye. call. Thank you. Bye. Certainly. Goodbye. All right. Back to gardening. We're going to talk to Judy and Veronica and Tom, and Judy's up first. Good morning, Judy. Good morning, Bob. Good morning. I'm not quite sure where to start. Um, I'm still working on the yard. I have, we pretty much have weeds. And you talked once about the um, different kinds of the grasses. Uh Uh-huh. And I think we have, out front, we just have that, um, not St. Augustine, the other one. Bermuda? Bermuda. Okay. and but you, you shared about the different kinds of Bermuda, mm-hmm. and I don't remember. And the other thing we do, we have quite a bit of the grubs. So when is the best time to do nematodes? We've done them once, but we probably need to do them again. Well, you do nematodes when you see June bugs. The June bug is the adult stage of the grub worm, and or you could say the drogerns the larval stage of the of the june bug but when you start seeing june bugs which can be any time from march through july they are going out at that point they're laying eggs and so that's the time you put out your beneficial nematodes because it's a little bitty grub worms we call them first and second larval instars they're the ones that do the most damage so had no reason to be worried about grubs this time of year they're totally inactive um, I mean, people put out nematodes uh, this time of year for flea control. They put them out to control thrips. 
Uh, they put them out to control, um, you know, ticks. This is the only time of year you're really effective in getting the larval stage of the thrips and also getting the ticks because they're down at ground level. But grub worms are not really an issue right now. Uh, one thing about having, you mentioned weeds. If you have a Bermuda yard, undoubtedly it is pretty much turned brown with the cold. And this means that you can do their mixture of vinegar and orange oil, putting about two ounces of orange oil with a gallon of strong vinegar, going out and spray. You can totally spray where you've got green weeds coming up in your yard, whether it's henbit or dandelions or clover or whatever, or the winter grasses. You can get out and spray with vinegar and orange oil. You will kill all the green weeds that are coming up, but you won't hurt your Bermuda in the least because it's gone dormant for the winter now. So, Weed control is uh, really easy right now, uh, considering that we have had a hard enough frost to freeze back most of our good turf grasses. Okay, but we have to plant grass. We okay. have to grass back there. Um, so, and there's not a lot of grass, but what you talked about a couple of different kinds of uh, Bermudas. Well, if you're going to plant Bermuda at this time of year, you're going to have to, you can't put out seed at this time of year. The seed's not going to even think about sprouting while it's this cold. So you're going to have to go with squares of uh, of sod to put down. My favorite is what they call TIFF, T-I-F-F. It's a very low-growing, very tough, uh, very durable Bermuda grass. Now, remember, Bermuda has to grow in the sun. This is not a grass for the shade. No form of Bermuda does well in the shade. But I like the uh, so-called TIFF Bermuda. It's what they use on golf courses, so you know it is tough and durable. And you can certainly plant it during the winter months. Uh, it will start putting down roots. It will get established uh, um, as long as you don't have just bitterly cold winter uh, it's going to get started over the winter months, and then you'll have sort of instant yard when it starts to green up in the spring. But uh, you get the the two main types of Bermuda for residential lawns are the TIF type Bermudas and then just your common Bermudas. I mean, farmers and ranchers plant something called coastal Bermuda, which is raised as a forage crop for uh, feeding cattle and horses and things. But um, if I were going to go out and buy a Bermuda grass to put down a sod, I'd be buying the, it's, it's sold under the name of TIF or TIF 419 or uh TIF green. There's several different forms and all of them are excellent. Okay. So then, we have a dog, so if we wanted to, we should put out nematodes now if we want to kind of do control the fleas, right? If you have flea issues, yes, but realize that the nematodes only live about 60 days unless they're finding insects to reproduce in, so uh, quite frankly, if you don't have a flea problem, I wouldn't be putting them out. But if you start finding fleas, you can put the nematodes out 365 days a year. And they're not expensive, but I just, I'm not into spending a penny that I don't need to spend. So uh, I'm just not going to tell you it's essential unless you're fighting fleas right now. No, we're not. Yeah. Okay. I just kind of doing it as a preventive thing. Well, uh, you can do that, but I don't think it's really necessary. Spend your money on some good uh good tiff grass and get that planted and then we'll we'll talk about fleas and nematodes a little later okay one more question i have we need to plant a tree and i'm thinking of the cedar elm mm-hmm. is, is Ex- it, it, how fast it growing is that and is it and they i will say they are moderately fast growing they are not as fast as say a mexican sycamore and they're not as slow as a live oak um i would put them right on par with say um 
Oh, something like the Monterey Oak, the Montezuma Cypress. Uh, they are a good tree. They're a long live tree. They give you beautiful yellow color in the fall. I think Cedar Elm is a uh, is an excellent choice for San Antonio in the hill country. And like I say, moderate growth rate. I have a, a couple of them in my yard that are probably 8 or 10 inches in diameter that I planted about 15 years ago. So um, they don't just spring up overnight, but they're they're a lot faster than something like a live oak. Thank you. I think that's enough for me for one day, right? <laughs> All right, Judy. Well, get out and have a great Saturday. We will talk again. And uh, let's see. I'm going to go ahead and talk to uh, Veronica. Good morning, Veronica. Good morning, Bob. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. How about you? I'm um, well. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. I have two questions. Hopefully it's only two. <laughs> okay. All right, so the first one is um, my husband is building us a little greenhouse for some plants. Okay. And we he built a wood frame, and we bought some vinyl from the fabric store that's uh, four thousandths of an inch. Okay, thickness. four mil, yeah. Uh-huh. I, yeah, so my, my question is, is, is that going to suffice? I should have probably called before we started this, but well, I just want to know your six, info on six, six mil would be a lot better. It's, uh, again, 50% thicker, and uh, four mil is just a little bit easier to tear, a little bit easier to poke a hole in. Uh, I've built greenhouses out of four mil and realize it's only good for one season. But four mil is okay, but if you haven't opened it, I'd take it back and get six mil. I see. Okay. Not much. Yeah, it's not much more expensive, and uh, it's just it's a lot more durable. Now, you can't, um, if you're uh, putting it over the wood frame, you don't just staple it in place or it will blow right off. Um, you, oh. you, in effect, uh, you'll pick a calm day and you'll basically staple it up, but then you go back over it and you can use one of two things. They actually make a nylon, like a nylon ribbon that you pull along and staple through that. Or you can take what I use is a very thin piece of wood. I just, you know, I've got a very good table saw, and I'll just take a 2 by 6 or something like that and slice myself little sections of it that are 3 eighths of an inch thick. But you have to put this over the plastic and then either staple or nail through the wood to hold it in place, or it'll just rip right through those staples, and it'll be, you know, headed for Corpus Christi the next time the wind blows. But uh, <laughs> Good tip. Okay, that part we hadn't seen in our research but that's a good tip okay i'll let him know um secondly okay the reason we're we're creating this is because recently we bought a ton of plants that were on sale and a lot of them are grasses we just couldn't resist because we love these grasses like the purple fountain and the pink muley and some feather grasses Mm -hmm. yeah right now they're doing they look fine so i just don't know should i put them in the ground, cut them down, or should I just store them in this little greenhouse till the spring and just let them thrive in there? Okay, you you need to make a list of your grasses and then attack that individually. Purple fountain grass can freeze and die. It should stay in the greenhouse for the winter. Muley grass okay. is totally hardy. Plant it right now. Most of the uh, um, maiden grasses uh, are totally hardy. They're going to freeze down, but uh, I would not hesitate mm-hmm. to put them in the ground um, uh, inland sea oats, which are a grass for the shade, it's going to freeze down but come back out.
but some of them, your the genus is Penicetum, uh, some of your purple fountain grasses and some of those are not as cold hardy, so they should stay in your greenhouse through the winter and be planted out next spring. Okay. Okay, that answers my question. Thank you so much. My pleasure. And every fall, I do a free seminar on greenhouse construction. Be sure and come over next year and uh, next fall. They're absolutely free of charge. We do as part of our seminar series. We do at Shades of Green. And uh, once you get a greenhouse, you're going to want a bigger greenhouse. You're going to want to know about heaters. You're going to want to know about summertime cooling. You'll want to know about the best framework material to build it out of. And it's not just lumber from the box store. So uh, plan on coming over and joining us next fall. And in the meantime, call me whenever you have questions. Okay, you know, that leads me to one last question. Do you guys have, like, an email list I can get on to get reminded, or is it just a matter of going to the website? or the Go Facebook? go to the website. We send out a newsletter, okay. um, either snail mail or email, and, um, you know, you can call. Uh, better still come okay. by and fill out the little form absolutely free, and we do not share our mailing list with anyone but uh, we, yeah, we. as a matter of fact, my partner and I are writing the January-February edition right now, and we're putting together our seminars for spring. So uh, love to have you on the list. Love to help you every way we can, Veronica. Okay, I'll come by. Thank you. Do it. Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to talk to Tom and AJ, and Tom's up first. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Well, I'm good, thank you. How about yourself? Doing great, thanks. Hey, I was hoping you would be able to give me some advice about digging up and transplanting a sumac. Uh, We live here in San Antonio. We had in our yard a tall sumac, probably 20 feet tall, with about a six-inch diameter trunk. And we have no idea how old it was because we bought the house, you know, a few years ago. Anyway, it died. And there are some little uh, sprouts coming up close to it outside the fence. And I dug up one about a year ago, put it in a pot. It looked like it was coming up off of a runner, actually. Yeah. Um, and uh, it eventually died in the pot. Just wondering if you could give me some advice. Well, we're talking, of course, flame sumac rather than evergreen sumac because they're two entirely yeah. different plants. I will tell you that your number one, collect some seed when you can um, because they're they're easy to propagate from seed and they grow relatively easily. Here's the thing about, uh, and if you can find young seedlings growing anywhere along around, they propagate fairly easily. The problem with anything is kind of like trying to grow an oak tree from a root sprout coming off of a big live oak or something. You dig it up, but all you got is the underground runner it was coming off of. You didn't get any roots along with it. If I, from the situation, if I were in your situation and I'm looking at these little things outside the fence that you are pretty sure are coming from runners, I would go out and I would individually go around each one of those things and I would take my sharpshooter, bilduki, my grandfather called it a bilduki, whatever, long-bladed shovel, and I would go out about maybe eight inches from the trunks of these little ones, and I would just go straight down to the ground as deeply as I can push the blade of that shovel down in the ground. And what I am doing is severing the runner, and yet I am not putting it under the stress of pulling it out of the ground and trying to replant it. What I want to do is cut that sucker, as it were, that the tree is coming off of, I want to leave it there through the rest of the winter to let it form some roots 
And then next spring or sometime six months from now, then I think you will go back. Some of these things are just going to die when you do that to them because they have no roots whatsoever. Mm-hmm. But you're in effect, many of them will start to branch, start to form some roots from the spots that you have cut them. And you give them a few months to sit there in the soil, get a new root system started, and then you dig them up and move them. Does that make sense? Sure. That's that's fascinating. That's a great idea. Is there a time of the year that uh, you would recommend then eventually digging it up to try to move it? Ideally, I would do the, you know, the cutting of the things now and I'd transplant them next year. But since we're talking small plants, I think you could do it, you know, sever them now, let them start to leaf out in the spring and dig them at that time. You've got about an 80% chance they'll do fine. Okay. Yeah, these are about two feet tall or so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, hey, that helps a lot. Thank you very much. You go for it, and I'll get A.J. in here before the hour's over. Good morning, A.J. Good morning, Bobby. How are you doing? Yeah, it's just uh, nice to be sitting in a warm studio this morning. I'll put it that way. Isn't that the truth? Have you had a situation yet today? Uh, fortunately, no, but uh, the day is young. Oh, oh, so you're anxiously awaiting the situation. I wouldn't put it quite that way. I'm just anticipating that since I'm going to be out delivering poinsettias all day today and watching crazy people on the roads, uh, it's possible that situations will develop around me, which I will be prepared for. Hey, we've only got about a minute before news. How can I help you? <laughs> uh, these, I, I got these uh, mole crickets in the garden. Yeah. What, what do I do? Um, you can, uh, spray with spinosad if you feel like they're causing a problem. If they're, if there's nothing for them to eat on now, I wouldn't really worry about them. But if they're eating on your winter, uh, vegetables or bedding plants, uh, get a little spinosad and spray around. That's probably going to be the most effective thing. You could also put out some beneficial nematodes, but in fact, you might do both. But, uh, I think your spinosad as a spray is going to be about the most effective thing. We just had this rain uh, yesterday afternoon, last night. Yeah. Uh, should I wait for that ground to dry a little bit? Or, I'd, or? I, yeah, I'd let it at least dry out. But uh, two days from now, it'll be just fine to do it. Just a wet, wet the top top of the soil. Yeah. All right. 